0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Northwest by podcast, the podcast where we talk about business and tech in the Northwest. Uh, I have my host with me as ever, Zach Giorgio. Hi, Zach. Hi, how are we doing? Very good. Thank you. And we have Ed Palauskas from Street Group. Hi, Ed. Hi, How's it going? Very good. Thanks. Thanks very much for coming along today. Um, it would great to hear about you and you know your career, I guess, and also the, the, the business that you work at. So, um, as I said, thanks for coming on. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about, you know, yourself and I guess how you got into tech?
1: First of all, I guess, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, In terms of how I got into tech. So I used to I used to play a lot of online games when I was a teen and I used to build websites around those games as a hobby. And that somehow ended up with me getting into computer science for a degree and my sort of first foray into the world of tech. Uh, as a as a professional was as a as a freelancer so uh funny story actually about my first job so i moved to the united kingdom in 2012 uh from lithuania and uh, that was for university. Uh, so I tried to find like a normal job, you know, like at a coffee shop or, or a pub, you know, where students work really. But uh, I think, yeah, basically I was this like awkward kid with a uh, very severe lack of social skills, you know, massive nerd. and obviously like nobody really wants to hire me. So what I ended up doing is I ended up going on online forums and trying to find, uh, Some work there basically, and someone took a chance on me and hired me as a freelancer to build them uh, a bunch of HTML and CSS websites. And that is how I got started basically. And just, yeah, took it from there, learned PHP, Laravel, Symfony, all that stuff, so myself front and end, eventually got my uh, sort of first full time job after graduating. But yeah, freelanced all the way through to uni. It's cool. You know something, you know,
2: I love about doing these podcasts, and it's a very common theme with tech, and it's something that you don't necessarily see generally in life. And that is that most people that get into tech seem to have started at a young age and have a passion for it and then move it through. Whereas sort of a lot of people that I've ever spoken to in life, apart from in that sort of community is they follow in the father's footsteps or the mother's footsteps and they do what the family did as a job and stuff like that. It's so good to hear it's, And it's the same theme all the time, which is I was into online gaming or this fascinated me and I could make stuff and all of a sudden that got me into it. The question that I've got maybe jumping ahead and John will probably be raining me back in in a second, but there you go. That's why we work together. Um, why did you choose to do PHP over something like C-sharp or another potential language? Why was it that you chose that route to go down or did you fall
1: into it as probably my comment of what most other people do generally in life? Yeah, I think I think that's a good question. It's not something that I've actually really actively thought about. Why did I end up choosing PHP? But looking back to it, I think it just was chance, really, because... While I was building those HTML and CSS websites, what happened was I needed to basically like reuse a bunch of blocks cross uh, pages. And PHP was the easiest way to do that. Um, so I guess for me it was just a path of least resistance. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. Look at you, Zach Georgia, asking technical questions. Hello. And hello. You see yourself.
2: That was amazing. <laughs> I've been I've been too involved in, in tech recruitment <laughs> for too long. I'm actually becoming knowledgeable. Yeah. I know. <laughs> A little bit
0: of knowledge. <laughs> Dangerous thing, Zach. I think it's a really good question. Actually, I have, there's some parallels to that in my own career, and I've I found that I've sort of almost accidentally gone from one skill to another, you know, over time. Like necessity led the way rather than, um, I, I guess, I, I look at some people maybe wish wish I had been more like them and sort of choosing their path and sitting down and laying it all out on the table and going for the one that they, you know, that they felt was a, a best fit for them. So I think... But there's, there's a, you know, again, like learning front end skills, you learn it because you need to learn it and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah, good, good to hear that. I'm not certainly not the only one who's like, who's chosen their, their skill set out of necessity. Um, yeah. So then, and tell me then a bit about your role at streets. What do you do there? Street group, I should say.
1: Uh, at the moment, what I'm doing at Street Group, I am uh leading one of the teams that work, is working on our sort of marketing platform Spectre, basically doing still doing development stuff and then a bit of management, I guess.
0: And um, so like tell me a little bit about the team because actually, something interesting that Zach said was that a lot of people in tech tend to get into it quite young, and I think there's there's truth in that, and I'm certainly tick that box, and I know a lot of people. Are also the same, but it's an interesting career now because there are a lot of people cross training to tech and uh, coming from boot camps. You know, coming to it later in their career, like it's their second career. So, what's the kind of makeup of your team? If you do you find there are a lot of sort of grads, or or is there a bit of everything?
1: I think um, I think everyone everyone on my team, at least anyway, is is a like a, a graduate of, of computer science. No, uh, it's not like a boot camp or anything, but we. I think we do have a few like self stars across the company and other teams and like they've been doing fantastic as well. Yeah, definitely I'd say it's definitely interesting now how
0: the, the market has changed and interesting to see that your team is like fully computer science based as well. No other degree skills there, so not software engineering or computer studies, it's all computer science or just computer um, science as a whole.
1: I think computer science as a whole, I I honestly would put like engineering. Computer science in 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 one group, if that makes sense. I don't really tend to distinguish between between the degrees. I think as long as it's like something computer related, it's usually very similar. Yeah.
2: Just going back to I john's mentioning there about sort of the types of people that you've got and sort of the degree qualifications. You know, you've been in this role now, and you've been in the UK since twenty twelve. What sort of changes have you seen in the tech community in the past few years, you know, since Brexit occurred? And do you think we've still got a lack of talent? Do you think less people from Europe are coming across? You know, what are you tending to see like that? Or do you think that, you know, we've still got an abundance of talent and, you know, lots of Europeans are still coming to the UK, etc.?
1: Yeah, I think in terms of talent, it's it's a weird one. One thing that has popped up what wasn't really a thing when I started is boot camps. So there's a lot more of that boot camp graduates coming into the, to the workforce, uh, a lot more self-stars, I guess, as well. Because uh, I guess maybe barrier to entry is a bit lower or demand for developers has increased greatly since then. Uh, so I'd say, yeah, just the sheer demand. And it feels like there's no sort of sense of slowing down either.
2: I think the other thing is on that. No, I think, you know, ultimately if we're not doing these things, then we never we're never going to catch up anyway because it's too fast and it's too fast paced and technology's too fast paced so when i first met john uh, which was probably around 7 Half and a half years ago now we were talking about tech and i remember at the time you know php being the absolute hot skill you know php php obviously there's always c sharp there's always other these are the only java etc et but php was particularly hot at that time and then about a year and a half later or two years later javascript became like Super hot, and PHP wasn't quite as hot. And that's an ongoing theme because then PHP then steps up again, and then somebody else steps up again. And you've got Golang, you've got all these other languages as well. We're just never going to catch up. It's just too fast. And actually, not just the catching up element, but also the element of the demand across the whole of the spectra. And what I mean by that is, Pre-COVID, not everybody was bothered about their online presence or the usage of online tools necessarily, whereas now everybody is. So I think these boot camps are absolutely 100% worth the while. And I think however we do it and whatever we do, we've just got to continue to throw resources at bringing people into the actual tech sphere because it's never going to stop and the demand's never going to stop either.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think one interesting thing that you mentioned is the shift from sort of like PHP to JavaScript to something else, right? And um, I think in the sort of social space, like Twitter forums, all that, right? There's been this talk of like the downfall of PHP. And I think that has been happening for the past, what, 10 years or something. Everyone's like saying, you know, you know, PHP is dead. But I think looking at like the job market, it's as strong as it ever was, really. There's a bunch of jobs. Everyone, like companies, are still doing really cool stuff in PHP. Like companies like uh, Slack, they started out with, with PHP, right? So there's plenty of like startups, plenty of cool work. Like we use PHP as well, right? And we do some pretty cool stuff with PHP. Um, so I think it's like, it's there are these shifts in technologies but like nothing's really slowing down just like maybe the trend is shifting and like the demand is growing more for certain things like JavaScript but yeah
2: yeah you know uh, my reference point is not necessarily that PHP is better, JavaScript is better, et cetera. So my reference, because actually PHP at the moment is absolutely, you know, we, we've got more PHP jobs than we've had for a very long time because it's absolutely booming at the moment, particularly digital agencies as well. They're very heavily weighted on that side. And a lot of those businesses are taking a lot of people at the moment. But um, my reference point is, 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 is really more about technology never slows down. It just picks up, you know, yeah. and there's more and more stuff happening all the time, you know. Go, Golang, R, etc. There's all these other languages that are out there as well. And things like, you know, when I, when I first met you, John, certainly there was none of those languages that I could, they were just on the periphery, weren't they, really? Whereas just recently, you know, you can see people more going on. To that. But then you've got data science and AI and all these things that have happened over the past few years, including really pre 2012, sort of I'd say. There was also probably not as much on the the, the cloud and data science side as, as what there is now, you know. So it just goes and goes and goes, doesn't it? No, your view is, John.
0: Yeah, well, I th- I think it goes in cycles, and I'm thinking back sort of over my career and and what I read prior to my career. And we, if you talk about the sort of age up to the web, then so it would have all been desktop or server based, and so that there was a small number of languages. There wasn't a huge proliferation. There was nowhere to share about those apart from books. So there wasn't this you know, there wasn't a huge proliferation of languages. Then we get the web and the sort of new languages come along. And then we get into what I sort of see as like the age of the framework, whereas it wasn't really about the language anymore. It's like, well, language is a language. It's, there are different frameworks and you had all your framework wars um, and the explosion of those. Um, and so that, that continued and, and does continue to an extent. You get your your Views, and they're all kind of frameworks or tools of, depending on your definition of framework. But then we now we come back to another point where languages, new languages are bursting on again for different reasons. So the likes of Rust, for because it helps with you know the problems around delivery in the sort of web assembly space. So it's solving a new set of problems the same way the web languages were solving a new set of problems around um, programming for the web and generating HTML on the fly uh, and other other things. So it, it tends to go in cycles. So we've we've now got that cycle again. Where again new languages are popping up, you know, we want we want this, we want that. Um so I think it, it'll come back around. And I don't think you're right, it's like it's not going to stop. People are not gonna, you know, people there's new frameworks popping up every day. They can't all succeed. And so they're always they're always going through these waves of like this is the new hotness. And if you know, if, if any one of us had a pound for every time you could find an article online that said, Is X dead where X is the name of a language or a framework, we'd all be rich. Um, and but it's it's just it's just clickbait, right? It's just someone's trying to derail one language or one framework for in because they're promoting another. It's just, you know, COBOL's not dead, guys. It's like I'm just telling you, it's like a ton of it out there. It's not hot, right? But it's not dead. Like there's there's millions of lines of it, billions of lines of it. So um it's it's more like, is this still hot?
2: Will I enjoy it? Go Zach. So moving on from the tech piece, because I reckon we could probably just talk about that for all our time on there. Tell us a little bit more about Street Group and what's going on. Obviously, we've had Street Group on before. What's new? What's happening? What's exciting? Why is it exciting?
1: Yeah. So Street Group, I guess, just a brief overview for those unaware of who we are, what we do. So we basically create software for the estate agency market. We have three primary products now. So uh street which is our estate agency software and crm then spectre which is the marketing platform which is uh what i work on um and then street insights which is the latest shiny edition just suite of products that we offer um and that is basically um just a means for agents to uh generate property reports for their customers and what what are you guys doing in terms of remote working now
0: is it back in the office work from home or you got some kind of hybrid thing going?
1: It's a hybrid for us um, at the moment. Uh, so during sort of lockdown times, we were fully remote. Um, now, for our team, at least anyway, we try to be in once a week. I think company wide, we try to do it like at least once every couple of weeks. Uh, get the teams in. Uh, it's just mostly for like FaceTime because uh, it's nice to have that sort of social bond with the team. Like mm. have some face to face time just sort of recharge your social batteries, I guess.
0: Sorry, one thing we talked about in the past before was, you know, the, how COVID and remote working, I suppose, really has affected new starters and younger people moving into the industry. Have you had deal with any of that? Have you had you know, new people coming on the team and they're, you know, because they don't get, they benefit, I think, a lot from being around technical people, I suppose it's anyone doing the same job, but being around them and absorbing it. And they kind of miss that. Did you did you see that in uh, in
1: anyone you were hiring? Uh, I don't think so. So one thing that we try to do at Street Group um, is we in in teams we foster this like culture of the team is greater than the individual, where everyone uh, does their best to help each other. Um, so we're very big on things like like pair programming, war rooming, stuff like that. So we try to still sort of create that environment where people can absorb that knowledge from each other and cooperate um so they still have that sort of sense and
0: i've heard a pair program before but war rooming what's that
1: war rooming is basically we get a list of like tasks together we all get into the room get a bunch of coffee some snacks in and just bash through a bunch of tasks for that day doing basically whatever needs to be done to to get those tasks over the line so we might be well we might take a more pragmatic approach to some of the problems um i guess than we would day-to-day stuff like that
0: cool so does pragmatic mean we're not going to fix it is that one of them <laughs>
1: uh no no it's like it, we're gonna we're gonna fix it but we're gonna fix it in a in a quicker way than yeah we yeah
0: yeah yeah excellent is that done in person then you know you talk about coffee and snacks i'm guessing that's one of the in office yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah, so we all yeah, we'll get into uh, a room at the office, all of us, and yeah, we'll do some get the laptops out, do some work.
0: That sounds great. And I guess that again for new people, people getting used to the systems and getting used to tech in general, that's probably quite a good way to, to learn quickly.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think one of the one of the things that we try to put new starters through is uh, we put them on bug duty, basically. And it is quite sort of a daunting task at first, I guess, because you do get some questions asked where you don't know, like you have no idea about the answer, right? So you have to go and figure stuff out and you have to go and learn how the system works. And some of the bugs are like very uh, well, depends on the week, right? But you could get some very nasty bugs where you have to like go through it, like figure out very sort of intricate parts of the system. Uh, But that's, I think like how you learn and become an expert really.
0: Yeah. bug duty seems to be something that is I've seen certainly in other places and it Whilst it feels like you're giving the menial tasks to the new starters, actually these are really good learning opportunities where it's a the scope of the problem is pretty well defined. It's supposed to behave like this and it's not doing it. Um hopefully it's a you know the area of the system they're working on is confined as well. So it can be quite good, right? It's definitely a it's definitely something that people should consider when they're taking new people on as a way to upskill them quickly.
2: Zach, like, I don't know if you had anything made you were uh... No, no, not on that. No, um I, I suppose one of the questions is that. I've got is, obviously, you've been PHP all of your life. You fell into it. We discussed that. Where do you think tech's going? You know, obviously, you mentioned about sort of PHP sort of resurgence and stuff. like that. I agree. I think it's very busy out there for that particular area. But, you know, what do you think is coming next? What do you think is exciting? Is it JavaScript? Is it one of these other languages? Or do you think everyone's just continuing to evolve their... Current language, or is there something out there that we're not aware of that's coming that's really exciting?
1: I think personally, I think like JavaScript is going through quite an interesting phase right now. So they, it looks like that ecosystem went from having things like Express, which are very sort of tiny libraries, to then like going to React, and now it seems to like go more towards a, I guess, a Laravel or a Symphony approach where they're trying to like consolidate more things into bigger frameworks instead of just one-off libraries. And I think that is sort of true if you look at things like Remix JS and like the technologies like that and look at what they're doing in like Next.js and stuff where those sort of frameworks and libraries try to consolidate a lot more and deliver a sort of barriers included solution. I think it sort of it, it does feel like a cycle because PHP has been in that position for a very long time now, and it is very interesting seeing like JavaScript sort of grow into it. Yeah, I think like
0: JavaScript's definitely gone through its, or maybe has gone through a sort of adolescence phase where uh, it's sort of starting to mature to the point where you know, the, obviously it's very mature. It's in production all over, but uh, it just seems to catching up maybe with some of the other more mature frameworks and has certainly more to offer. But, you know, I think coming back to what Zach was saying, I don't think any none of these languages or frameworks are probably going away, um, certain other languages. And I guess what I'm interested in is the, the the challenges that a business face when they sit down and say, right, we're going to build something. What are we going to build it in? Um, and my suspicion is they don't the people who make those decisions are not necessarily technical people. They're you know maybe a founder wants to start a business they hire someone they don't know much about technology so they hire someone and the person that they hire knows language x framework y and that's what you get and that's somehow and hopefully they're good decisions but they're not necessarily this they you know what i mean they haven't they haven't taken a step back and gone right where where's our business going to be in five ten years time do, do we need to consider the language which is probably fine because uh, probably just goes to show that they're all probably just as good as each other, really. And there are all, all these businesses
2: succeeding um, with well, all these I, frameworks. Yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to take your take on that Ed, as well, uh, in relation to what your views on challenges that you guys might have faced there. But I think we've seen that as well, haven't we, John? You know, so my experience, you know, talking to you over the years, I've seen many businesses exactly in that situation where, you know, they've built it on Ruby, for example. And then all of a sudden, the market for Ruby is an absolute nightmare. They can't actually do that. So they need to bring somebody in. They bring somebody in from any language as long as they've got the ideas and the concepts and so on. And all of a sudden, they completely change their tech stack and it becomes PHP. Um, I tend to see, personally, I tend to see a lot of that really at a sort of infancy stage. So whenever I've, that's happened with me, it's normally startup type businesses or a business that's been running for about... 12 or 18 months and then all of a sudden they're like right we really need to get going now things are really starting to move forward I see that even in my business you know some of the systems that we've implemented five or six years ago you know now RD is fit for purpose and you know as your business matures you have to try and make that decision and that's a whole big piece isn't it but I suppose I suppose I'd probably say like John's mentioned there what's been the biggest challenge you, that you guys have faced Ed, and, and, and how did you deal with that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned like uh, the like potentially moving from technology like X to Y, right? Because it like X isn't fit for purpose anymore, or you like upgrade it. We've we've just gone through a very sort of similar challenge where we had to upgrade our front end recently because we basically like realized it doesn't allow us to do what we want to do. And as quickly as we'd like to do it, so we basically had to go from using like, old school Bootstrap and jQuery to building a single page application using Tailwind. And it was like a, a massive challenge in figuring out like, okay, well, how do we actually do this? How we, how do we transition from like a an old school server rendered application where we've got just like sprinkles of JavaScript here and there, To like a full on single page app, but like keep the styling consistent and make the transition for the customer completely seamless in that same way. So that like the, yeah, so the experience doesn't get disturbed, but also we can do what we want to do and we can level up the product.
2: How did you
0: find like the skill in the team? Was that something that was already there and they were just keen to do it or was there some leveling up that they had to do?
1: Yeah, so we had to, we actually had to do some leveling up there. So a few people, including myself, had some exposure to like Vue.js, which is what we uh, use for the new front-end stack, but we didn't have a lot of it. So what happened like particularly now, it seemed we were building some of this, like uh, some of these new sort of interactive pieces on the product, was one of the new hires, Dan, who's like a mid-level dev, was helping all of us upskill in Vue, uh, which was very interesting to see and very, very nice.
0: Very cool. So you
1: got there in the end. Is that
0: that all live now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we basically have a transition plan that we want to follow. But basically like anything new that we build is going to be built in the new shiny tech. Everything else is basically on in in maintenance mode. And then we rework things gradually. But yeah, a lot of like quite a few things are now live and in production. And yeah, we're having an absolute blast working with this stuff.
0: Cool. do you think it's made you faster as well? Like if you got that productivity boost that you wanted?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we had as part of like the the new this new stack is uh, hot module reloading, which means whenever you make a change, you don't need to refresh your browser to look at the change anymore. So we can just do live coding, which has sped us up like tremendously.
2: Have you transitioned the whole business into this, or do you still have
1: legacy systems running elsewhere? No, so it's just Spectre at the moment. I know. Right other teams were thinking about this as well. But I think with with implementing new technology, it's about finding the right time to do it and the right way to do it uh, as well, I guess. So, yeah. Always an interesting one, that,
2: because... Uh, I guess you got to do it that way. But normally some legacy systems that are sort of sat around as well. And then I suppose from a development team's perspective, everyone wants to work on the shiny new (laughs) products. And that can be difficult. So uh, I'm, I'm making an assumption without going into too much depth, but you sort of share that around so everyone gets a little bit of a go of it and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think um, we're basically like in, in terms of uh, working with inspectors. So the maintenance bits we share across the team, everyone does it. And then also uh, everyone also gets to work on the new shiny stuff. It does go around. Yeah,
2: Cool. So moving a little bit more on Spectre, you know, tell, tell us now and to our audience when we go out there, tell us what you would look for when you are looking to hire somebody into your team. And why would you look for that profile?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one, I think, because I think the most important thing when hiring a dev is probably attitude. I mean, like as a company, we do have certain expectations of like, technical ability but if someone has a good approach willingness to learn we think that goes much further than technical expertise most of the time and we basically have like a ton of knowledge across all the teams throughout the business uh we've got some like absolutely stellar devs so there's there's a lot of knowledge there to be absorbed and as long as they have the attitude to absorb that knowledge and work together i think that works very well and again like we we have that culture of like team is greater than the individual so it's very important that people can work within that way and embrace that way of working.
2: And you're fully agile as well. Do you work in squads or do you, do you have sort of pure development teams or is it sort of squads where you'll have a team that works work on particular projects and stuff like that? So BAs in their product owners or I don't know what the, the full makeup is of your business. But
1: Yeah, so we do. It depends on the team, really. Like some, some teams will have, they'll be like a team of devs and then they have a dedicated designer. I think all the teams have a product owner, but it's primarily like devs, um, designer, product owner, and yeah, I think that's that that is the makeup of uh, of the teams. We are agile, work sprints, but again, it, like it will depend on the project. Because I so before I worked on Spectre, I worked on the growth team within the business, and we went through probably about a year just not doing agile just throwing like tickets on the board and just doing them yeah depends depends on the project
2: right and you know going going moving away from that then just getting back to you a little bit what made you move to manchester what was the appeal with manchester
1: um yeah i just thought it was a it was a pretty good city like when making my applications I, I also moved here with my girlfriend, so it was one of the places where we both could go to uni, and a lot of that uh, a lot of that was was uh, was that really. But also, I think like, we did think about moving at times uh, from Manchester. But if you if you have a look at anywhere else, it doesn't come close really in terms of like tech job prospects,
2: right.
1: um, unless you're in London. But yeah, I think if you're into tech, Manchester is just a place to be. I think. Really, I didn't even consider consider that when moving here, but I think just lucked out.
2: Right. That's very interesting. And that's, I suppose, very good to hear. I mean, you know, I'm born and brought up in Manchester and, you know, Manchester was an old textile city, as I'm sure you know. You know, for people now in the modern world turning around and saying, well, actually, Manchester is becoming the tech hub that Andy Burnham wanted to become and stated numerous times that he wanted it to be the tech hub of the uk and the tech hub of europe that's very pleasing to see um because ultimately if that's where we're going and we're at the forefront of it you know it's a really good place to be and and i think the house price will probably go up more so as well so
0: i just want i wonder what remote working has done for things like tech hubs because we know it's it's sort of broken the London market up a bit, right? It's not people are now not living in the city, they're living near the city or, or elsewhere. Um, Manchester is still attractive in that you can live in the city, work for a company that's based out of the city, go there one the one day a week, as you do, Ed. Um, and so you get the you get the best of both, arguably. Um, so is, is does Manchester kind of win that battle because of that, because the it's more affordable. And yet, you know, salaries will probably have to go up a little bit to, to match people, to draw people out of London, um, sort of nationally.
2: I mean, I, I would say to you that the remote working aspects has just opened up the channels to market and increase the talent pool greater, depending on whatever region that you're in. I still believe that the tech hub remains as it is, because I still believe that most businesses would like to see their people, whether that be 100% you know, remote, which most businesses are now pretty much open to. but Also, a lot more businesses that I speak to over and over and over again would like their people to be able to come in once a week, once a month, twice a week, you know, et cetera, Mm. et cetera. So whilst I think remote has made a, a difference, and I think a lot of businesses have embraced it and a lot of businesses work with it, I still think that more and more businesses want people that are able to commute and, you know, would prefer to be able to see them, whether that be every now and again, they just would. So ultimately, if you've got a city that's driving in that way and has a tech hub and does that, then people will come here. And I do still think we're very affordable. You know, I see friends of mine that are moving from London to Manchester and they're buying houses at what we could only have described as ridiculous on roads that are very, very nice roads in the areas that you and I live in, John. But these house prices are going for a fortune. And some of those are people from London who are selling their two bedroom flat for £800,000 and thinking that spending over a million pounds on a detached house in Bramall, Poynton, Cheadle, Hume is cheap. (laughs) <laughs> do you know what I mean so and and you know it is a cool city and I think the football believe it or not people know Manchester worldwide because of that you know and and the airport being on the doorstep of an international airport whether or not it's as efficient as what we would like it the the um, fact that we do have that makes a really really big difference um and my, my recommendation to anybody, um and uh, apologies this is is a little mention to somebody but you know Spain's not as good as Manchester you should definitely live in Manchester not Spain um (laughs) (laughs) uh, that's Denisa who uh, hosts our podcast for our listeners right so believe it or not that's it our time's up so one piece of advice from you Ed what could you give us as a piece of advice in relation to anybody wanting to come into the tech world, whether that be a grad, whether that be somebody who's done a boot camp,
1: what would your advice to them be? I think uh, my advice would be put the hours in. I think a lot of people that come into the industry, they, like, they go to boot camps or university and they kind of just expect knowledge to be given to them, I guess but I don't think there's any like cheat code really to go around it. You just need to put the hours in. You need to grind it out to get to the level of knowledge that you need to break into the industry. That's I think that's, that, that is the secret sauce in my opinion.
0: Well, I'm sorry. I'm just busy absorbing that because I think it's a great answer. And, you know, I've had people come out, I've met people come out of bootcamp and they're great. They've got great attitude that, you know, but what they know at that point is enough to get them a job, not enough necessarily to, to do a great job of the job and it takes a while and you're right i think it is you have to have that attitude that you spoke about before and you have to put the hours in i, I don't think i've got anything better than that i'm not, I'm not going to like bring the average down by giving advice
2: <laughs> um, am i allowed to answer my own question or is that not allowed on the show
0: no. yeah can. for sure of course you are <laughs> mate go for it
2: <laughs> yeah I, I mean i can agree more you mentioned about attitude earlier on I've said this for quite a while and I will continue to say this and, and and depending on what success looks like to you and success can look in very, very many different ways to different people, whether that be having as much money as they want or whether that be just being really, really good at something but not having any money from it, it is totally in your mind what success needs to look like. But the only barrier to that success is yourself because we all have the ability to learn, we all have the ability to develop and it actually always comes down to how much we want it and if we want it we work hard enough to get it and that's for me exactly your point there ultimately everything comes down to the person and you mentioned attitude right at the start couldn't agree more you know you can have what you want in this life within reason if you work hard enough for it so um john i'll pass over to you to finish off brilliant thank you very much ed from street Group coming on
0: the show today and if you want to get in touch with the podcast please do so we are on linkedin both myself and zach we have a linkedin page and northwestify.co.uk web page where you can um fill in a form and, and contact us that way thank you very much